0: the theme of the theme of this retreat is the integration of love and wisdom and we know compassion to be one of the manifestations of love and so i'd like to offer you this evening a contemplation on compassion and wisdom it's said that in the dharma there are uh, two wings of the dharma one is compassion And one is wisdom. And it said that without compassion, wisdom would not be possible. And without wisdom, compassion would not grow into something more and more strong. And so we need both of those wings in order for the bird of freedom to really fly. So this is something to keep in mind as we do our practice The ability to really care for, to really deepen into this uh, unconditional friendliness or love, even with those things that are painful in our lives, uh, painful with others, painful in our own hearts. So one of the most beautiful feelings a person can experience, and I'm sure each one of you in your own way has in your lives, is this unconditional compassion when our genuine empathy or caring can connect with another and we can really feel the suffering of that person, mostly because we know it for ourselves. We've been able to face it for ourselves. And there's not just this connecting with that feeling of suffering, but uh, compassion has to do with that genuine uh, intention and then carrying out of the intention to help, to try to alleviate the suffering in others or in ourselves. So that's a very important aspect of compassion. It's not just knowing the suffering of another, but it's really being able to carry out our intention to relieve the suffering of another, of ourselves. So it becomes even more beautiful and rare for us as human beings when we can have this unconditional compassion for ourselves. Mostly in our society we think it's to help others all the time. Uh, And we leave little or no room for ourselves in the picture. So mostly I'd like to um, speak about how we can have that for ourselves and the importance of it. In preparation for this talk, some time ago, I came across a lecture online, uh, and it was entitled, The Origins of Compassion. So I really wanted to, um, that was very intriguing to me, coming from a a scientific point of view from Dr. Stephen Porges. He's a director of the Body and Brain Center at the University of Illinois. And so his expertise is in neurobiology, And he was coming from that point of view how it's kind of built within us. The origins of compassion are actually built within our biological and sociological inclinations. So his study spans the biology of the brain and the nervous system. And it has both of those implications psychological, sociological, as well as the biological. And what he was trying to express in that talk was that we have this deep need as human beings for compassionate connection with one another, both from the giver's side and the receiver's side as well. So it's very, very deep within us. And sometimes it's so covered up because of the busyness of our lives and the kind of what's the current Mores and taboos of of that period of time we're living in, and so he gave quite a unique description of compassion from both the giver's side and the receiver's side. It really illumined to me how deep compassion is. So, for the from the giver's side, he said that compassion is a manifestation of our biological human need to engage and to bond with others especially when they're in crisis. And I know we don't feel this all the time because of fear, because of fear of being involved in something complicated or just fear of connection sometimes. In the Dharma, compassion is described as a quivering of the heart to alleviate suffering. So we may all feel this in one way or another. We've felt it in our lives, probably even here where we've seen maybe our own felt our own suffering or remembered another person's suffering in our lives especially in the quietness of our minds and hearts here and we feel our our heart beating there's an energetic quality to it we want to help the quivering of the heart to alleviate suffering so we approach we engage we want to bond somehow it's a deep human need. Uh, those of you who are acquainted with Tibetan art and actually the the um, spirits of, of Tibet and the, the um, Taras, the, the different Taras, the green Tara, the white Tara, the red Tara. Well, the green Tara is the emanation of compassion. And uh, we have a... a Lama in, in my neighborhood in Maui and he's our, like our local Lama. We always go to see him and he's so wonderful to be around. So um, he was giving a talk on the Taras and he said that of all the Taras the green Taras is the most important and it's the one that all the other Taras are embodied within actually and they all the other Taras that uh, represent different aspects of uh, beautiful heart, beautiful mind. They emanate from this green Tara, the compassionate Tara. And you'll notice it's a Tara that's not just sitting in repose like some of the Taras, like the white Tara is. But it's a Tara with its right right, uh, foot ready to leap into action, ready to help, ready to do what one can. And so it, it really shows that quivering of the heart, but not just that. It's the uh, um, action to alleviate suffering. And this is the one part that's so important about compassion, that we take the action. But sometimes we need to take the action for ourselves first because we can't help others until we ourselves feel like we're strong enough that we can give from a place of not deep kind of... um, guilt or feeling of responsibility that's heavy, but because we have the energy and we can do it. There's a a beautiful story in, I don't know if it's just the Burmese tradition, but it's maybe in all of the Asian Buddhist traditions, where when we want to help sometimes, maybe we're not so ready, and we don't have enough wisdom So we jump into, say, somebody who's sinking in quicksand. But we ourselves sink because we can't even think about how to do this the right way. We're just so depleted sometimes. That's when we feel a sense of helplessness or we have what we call compassion fatigue. And so we jump in the quicksand and we too get pulled down. We can't help. But when we're strong enough, we may be able to help from the side, you know, to have enough wisdom to get a stick and say, here, grab onto this and I'll pull you back in. So that green Tara, the emanation of compassion from that heart has not just the heart, but it has the wisdom. It has the balance to know when to do, what to do, how to do. So in we know of this, um, these three modes that happen when we're facing suffering in ourselves or in others. There's this fight, flight, or freeze mode, those three. Now, recently, in the last years, there's been a lot more research on compassion. They're doing great research and a lot of beautiful talks at the Stanford University now about compassion. And they're finding that there's a fourth response that also has this very deep natural instinct, not just fight feet, flight or freeze, but also the instinct that many of us sometimes can't tune into because we're going through our own suffering, but it is to soothe. So that is a fourth, very deep instinct that we have to soothe another. Maybe it's not doing anything, but maybe it's just bearing with the suffering. Of another and really bearing with the suffering of ourselves which is what we're training in here to do because that's sorely lacking in our society being able to bear with the suffering within us so that's on the giver's side it's the manifestation to engage and to bond with others and from the receiver's side compassion is a component of our quest biologically for safety to be in the proximity of another that we feel safe with and sometimes i know there's a lot of confusion there's a we can't even know where to go sometimes to bond with we we can bond with people who are still hurting us and because out of habit or out of attachment or out of all kinds of ways that We can't think straight. And that's a suffering too. So when we sense compassion in another, when we really sense compassion in another, we connect biologically with that feeling of safety. We need that in order to survive. We really need that in order to survive. And so when these people go from our lives through death or through parting, it's really hard for us. Um, just recently our one of our senior monastic teachers passed away, Sayida Upandita, who is a great, powerful teacher in Burma. And whenever I felt you know a sense of not safe within me or around me, or I felt a sense of weakness in me as um, you know not being able to kind of open my heart or be brave enough to face what I needed to brave uh, to brave through, I would see him um, with it. you know they wear these orange robes and um, saffron robes and I remember him once he was wearing uh, an outer robe and he put his, his, his hands up and he looked like an angel you know with <laughs> And so sometimes I picture him, kind of with his wings around me, you know, when I'm feeling a little bit shaky. And I noticed, you know, when I couldn't picture that, because I I could have a picture of him, but I knew he wasn't alive anymore. It really felt like, ooh, I was kind of crestfallen, you know, that he isn't there anymore to do that. But I know that, um, you know, when he died, I felt like a great star, it was, he was like my north star was gone. But then I remembered that he, what he embedded in all of us is that the Dharma is your north star and that's in you. And so it always, you know, I thought about that. It always comes back to me, to my heart. We need that sense of compassion in another in order to really survive, in order to connect with that deep feeling of safety. And so each one of us has that in our lives. It could be somebody that's not alive today, like I just spoke of, somebody maybe that we never encountered personally, like maybe the Dalai Lama or Martin Luther King or Mother Teresa, or, um, you know, a grandmother or father who's not around anymore. But we have that feeling of safety around in in connection with those people and once in a while um, you know we see how people connect up and even animals who are the strangest combination connect up with one another because they feel safe in their in their domain in their um, kind of energy so once in a while, my friends, my animal lovers' friends, uh, friends, they send me these photos online of, you know, like um, uh, a kitten and a lion, and they're together. Well, that, you know, that's kind of the same. But what about a lion and a turtle? And, you know, they're always snuggling up to one another. And some strange combinations, like a snake and an elephant, and they're always together. You know, well, who knows what karma they had in the past but they feel (laughs) fond of each other and they feel close to one another and they feel safe with one another you know they're always protecting one another and you can actually see sometimes videos of that I love that getting into another realm like that so of course all of this happens when we feel an open-hearted flow uh, of positive energy We can feel that within ourselves. We can feel that from that person to us. And we can feel that within ourselves towards others. So there's three ways that we can feel this compassion for ourselves, from another person to us, from us to another person. And so there are various ways that when you can recognize compassion in yourself, it's a great strength to have. You know, we talk about the ten beautiful qualities of a human being, what we call the ten paramis. How many of you have heard of paramis? Yeah? And the first one being generosity, and then there's loving kindness, there's truthfulness, there's energy, the strength of energy, there's um, sila, living in harmony, there's equanimity, and more. But those would not be possible, it said, unless there were compassion. Because it takes compassion for for us to be able to develop all of those in our lives. If we didn't have compassion to be able to develop them for ourselves, because we're suffering and we need to develop those strengths, the the first strength is compassion. Compassion for ourselves because we see maybe we don't have enough of this, um, enough of uh, truthfulness generosity, equanimity, we need to build it up. We need to open that for ourselves. So compassion for ourselves uh, is the beginning point of this. And so when we have this, we have this unhesitating courage to face and to go towards that is what is hard to bear, and so in our practice here, we need a huge amount of compassion because when we sit, we see that, you know, mostly there's there's the hard bits that come up. Why? Because in our lives, we have to bypass them a lot in order to live. You know, we have to keep going. We can't ponder on that or let that bring us down or... Maybe it's too hard to face because it's so unpleasant, so we turn away from it, which is human, the human thing to do. And so when we come to a place like this, all of a sudden our our hearts and our minds relax more, we feel in a place of safety, and all of the stuff that we've been kind of stuffing away, because it's hard to deal with that when we're trying to help everybody else or do what we need to do in life, it comes up. So we really need to be able to face that here, to find the strength, the strength of compassion, to face it. When we can do this, there's a deep integration. Um, we know that for those of us in, in psychological realms, or I think if you're um, like me we need a therapist, you know. Dharma teachers actually need therapy. (laughs) It's hard to face all that we have to face, maybe, unless you're really integrated. But what we really need to do is face all those places inside of us, like fear, like our feelings of inadequacy, like our feelings of, like we're not good enough, um, that feeling of inadequacy, the ability to open to places inside of us that we forgot about, you know, because we had to push them away in order to survive. And so when they come up, we have to be able to really face them, to acknowledge them, to feel them, and then they become integrated in our lives. Um, I'm sure you've heard of the saying, In order to heal it, you need to feel it. And that kind of makes it known, makes the darkness be known. So then we feel a true sense of uh, integration, a true sense of wholeness. We're not pushing something away that's using all of our energy or running after things that are to hide that place. And that's also such a waste of energy. So we feel this kind of non-religious sacredness um, when we feel compassion and we can face what's hard to bear. It's like being in a, in a storm or being um, you know with a lot of rain, lightning and thunder but we feel like we're in a safe place. We're in some kind of shelter and we can be in that naturalness of that storm within us or around us the psychological or whatever kind of a storm, spiritual storm inside or outside of us, the difficulties of family life, etc. And then when we meet it, we can have a sense of wonder about it. We can have a sense of confidence. We can know and face not just the beauty of our lives, but also the painful parts of our lives. So it's a feeling of grace. It's a feeling of strength. It's not a feeling of kind of like bearing down so we can bear with it. It's more like opening up so we can really just see it and name it. So in some mysterious way, compassion makes us feel complete as a human being because we're facing what's hard to face. And we can open to the beauty, too, when we do that. We can open to the beauty in a way that is more open because we're not afraid that it's going to go away and the other part's going to overwhelm us again. We're just used to it. We can become more used to opening to what is instead of what we prefer or what we expect or what we think is going to be perfect. So being willing to care for ourselves contains a considerable measure of compassion because there's a considerable measure of distress in our lives. And that's the truth of how it is. It's said that in this realm of existence, this, um, uh, th- there are said to be 31 realms of existence. Now this is kind of like Buddhist psychology. Um, as Manindra, my teacher, says, you don't have to believe it, but it's true. <laughs> there, are, there are these 31 realms of existence, and um, the lowest realms are sort of like the difficult realms, what we, we would call the hell realms in our society. And then the highest realms are what, where they experience just pleasure and bliss and... Um, Now, the human realm, where would you think the human realm is? It's fourth from the lowest. So um, that means that we experience more suffering, usually, than joy. And why is that so good? It is a good thing, actually. It's because if we experience so much joy and bliss, we would not even care to find the truth of life we would just want to keep experiencing that and keep chasing after that so we're in this perfect storm you know this perfect realm to see that there is suffering as uh, mark so beautifully expressed last night in his dharma talk in the four noble truths the first one being the truth of suffering there's there's that much that we can open to that we really find a way to understand the truth so that that truth sets us free. And this is what we're doing in our practice here. And we can get to those places of joy and bliss when we can go beyond the suffering, when we can accept it first, and then see it for what it is, and go deeper into what each moment of life really means on a deep level. So it gives us meaning and purpose in our lives to open to, to have compassion, to be able to open to what the truth of life is. It said that if we didn't have compassion, we wouldn't be able to open to the first noble truth. That's why it's so important to have compassion for liberation. Once I was um, with Manindra and... I don't write very much in journals, but I found an old journal where I had asked him the question when I was with him in my younger days, and I said, what's the purpose of my life anyway? You know, I was just, I was a single parent of three children, and I was just doing one thing after another for survival, to help us, and that was my dukkha in life that led me to the Dharma. So I said, what's the purpose of my life anyway? I'm... I'm, I know I'm a pretty good person, I'm doing this for the sake of my children and our survival. And he very just bluntly, just didn't miss a beat, he said, the purpose of your life is to develop compassion and wisdom. And those, so those two need to be kind of like in balance and then integrated with one another. So it's no wonder that these qualities of open-hearted strength and courage and feeling the holisticness and completeness of the Dharma, and one of these um, beautiful qualities is compassion, this is celebrated in the Dharma as inner wealth. It's not something that you're going to kind of get from somebody or that somebody's going to bestow upon you because... They're an enlightened being. But it's something that we uh, develop in ourselves. And no one can take that away from us. When on our deathbed, everything can be taken away. But not this inner wealth that we're gaining as we do this practice. And the first quality that we need is compassion. So it's a strength of love um, that's willing to open to what's difficult. Now, many of you know about the 4 Brahmaviharas, the four divine emotions or abodes, and that's loving-kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And this afternoon you started the metta practice or, or uh, loving-kindness practice. So it's said that compassion is based in loving-kindness. And it's actually taking that loving-kindness and turning it towards suffering and really facing the suffering in ourselves and in others. So when that happens, when metta or loving-kindness turns towards compa- turns towards suffering, the aspect of compassion comes out of that. So our uh, teacher who just had passed away, Seda Upandita, I would never hear him say metta, which means loving kindness, without the word karuna, which means compassion. He would always put those two together. Because sometimes you will notice in your metta practice, as we continue that through the week, that sometimes you'll be doing metta, and maybe you you bring up a person that is easy for you, and the, the instruction is to really remember the goodness of that person. But what we remember, maybe first and foremost, is the suffering of that person. And that opens our hearts. So that means that your metta turned to compassion in that moment. And it's still metta, but the aspect of compassion is coming out because it turned towards the suffering of that person. So it's a strength that can open to whatever we face in life that's difficult. And then when we die, we feel, or even when we go to bed at night, you know, that we feel that we've been able to face a good part of our lives that we've been pushing away or that we couldn't face because all the conditions didn't come together yet for us to face that. But when we're in a place like this, it's quiet. We're really tuning into, coming into ourselves, not paying attention to what others are going through, but being there as a, as a silent um, kind of uh, support to others to let them go through what they need to go through. When we go to bed at night, at least this is the way I feel. I feel like I've done the best I could to open to all that I needed to open to at the end of the day. Here's this beautiful poem by Donna Markova that talks about that. And this is from her book, I Will Not Die an Unlived Life. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days To allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid and more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that which came to me as a seed goes to the next as a blossom, and that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. So I think of that as I think of my children and and those younger than me that I'm involved with in my life as a teacher, as a guide. So not doing this for my own benefit but for the benefit of all beings that I can come in contact with. So as I mentioned um, last night uh, when the beautiful talk was given on the Four Noble Truths by Mark, I wanted to connect that strength of compassion to that wisdom part of the Four Noble Truths. In the turning of the wheel of the Dharma, uh, which is the first um, uh, discourse that the Buddha gave, the Buddha laid out these Four Noble Truths. And as Mark said last night, he started with the reality of what we're all faced with as human beings. And he started that way because the Buddha was a realist, not a pessimist. He said things, he said the truth of things as they are. And when I first came to the Dharma, I I came from a Catholic tradition which I still revere a lot. I'm not one of those recovering Catholics. Um, there was a lot I learned, and I still revere the the teachings of Christ so much. And, uh, you know, being able to learn how to concentrate by saying so many novenas or rosaries, actually. Um, so transferred that over into the Buddhist teaching. But when I came to hear the Dharma, and I heard about the first noble truth, I thought that, wow, someone somewhere is saying it like it is, and is saying it like where I'm starting from, not some far-off place that I'm always trying to get to, but is actually um, saying that this is where we start, right? And I'm, I said, yeah, right, this is where I'm starting. This somebody's finally kind of mirroring what, where I'm at. And so I felt right at home in the Dharma from the very beginning because of that first noble truth. The first noble truth in uh, Pali is, these are the two Pali, that ancient language that the Buddha's words were spur- first spoken and translated in, written down in. dukkha sacha. Dukkha means suffering and the different kinds of suffering. Sacha means the truth. So, what the Buddha is saying there is, there is the truth of suffering. That's where we start from. Now, in the beginning, you know, I, I would hear this translation, life is suffering. Uh, luckily, I never heard that first because that would have turned me away from the Dharma. <laughs> um, but that's such a poor translation of that first noble truth, life is suffering. This is better, there is the truth of suffering. That's what the translation of Dukkha Satcha is. And uh, I thought for myself that it gave me permission to be human. So I felt like I was accepted you know, into that circle because I, I felt that this was true for me. There is the truth of suffering. And I was given permission to be the full range of a human being. So not to be in denial about it, but we need to start facing the truth. And that's what I understood. The first thing to do is to face that truth. So throughout his life he taught that it's a quality of compassion that supports us in facing that truth, that first noble truth. He gave compassion a vitally important role to develop on our spiritual path. Not just to open to others and to help and support others, but also to help ourselves so that we can really face what's difficult and through that opening we really understand the truth of life and we come to have that liberating knowledge, those liberating insights that help us to be free within and then help others in that freedom as well. So in our practice here, we all see for ourselves that it's difficult to open. And I think that all of us, um, maybe some of you, this is your first retreat, and maybe you haven't realized this as often as some of us have, but we realize, and I think I speak for many of you, That opening to the difficulties and to the truth really brings a beautiful fruit. It really brings beautiful qualities of mind, perseverance, ability to uh, overcome courage, the ability to see something difficult and say, I can do that. Also, the ability to be really honest and truthful with ourselves. It requires a great deal of honesty to face what's going on inside ourselves. So the fruit of that is quite strong, quite powerful, quite beautiful, worth going through. There's this um, poem by Khalil Gibran that speaks to this. I'm sure many of you have heard this in one way or another. Your pain is the breaking of the shell, that encloses your understanding even as a stone of the fruit must break open that its heart may stand in the sun so you too must know pain and if you could keep your heart in wonder at the daily miracles of your life your pain would not seem less wondrous than your joy so we're finding out how that can be true for ourselves This is our journey. This is how we're um, navigating our inner path here. So we're constantly trying to avoid opening to what's painful out of habit, or we're trying to patch together moments of joy well enough so that we can feel fulfilled in our lives. And we find out, as Mark so beautifully pointed out last night, that where is this leading to? You know, it's, it's not leading to any place truly beneficial. There's another path that we can take. It's not that we're going to stop doing this completely, but we find out that by avoiding pain, we can actually open to that avoidance or by having attachment to how we think it should be perfect or in some way different, we can open to that attachment itself. So these are the ways we open to the daily miracles of our life when we start facing those places within us. And then we feel the kind of empowering moments of like, I can do this, I can really do this. Well, we live in this electronic age where the frequency and intensity of seeing and hearing and knowing what's happening affects us so steadily. And this is why we also need more compassion in our lives. The shifting and changing planet, the melting icebergs, the changing ocean currents and sea levels. I mean, this all brings a lot of fear to us. It does for me living on an island And I see how it changes so much there. Um, A few months ago, I opened to the environmental meetings that were going on in Paris, and I tuned into um, where the Pacific Islanders had gotten together, and they were showing how some of their communities were actually disappearing, because that, that area along the shoreline was actually no more. It was all water, so people are really experiencing this. Um, in this, you know, climate change uh, age that we live in. I know it's happened before and it's just part of the nature of life, but we're really experiencing it uh, very in our face these days. So, you know, you see it on the TV or I watched it on online. But just recently, just before I came... There was a hurricane. We had a hurricane warning on Maui. The hurricane never reached Maui, but we had, but the waves did, and we had that warning. So um, we weren't affected by it by wind so much, but the surf affected uh, the the north side of our island. So I, my friend and I went there, and my girlfriend and I and we saw this whole area of the beach that we usually this cove that we usually swim in it's called baldwin beach and um, the the waves had just kind of whooshed away the sand and it actually was so close to the place where communities gather together this um, concrete building it was probably about five feet away from the concrete building it had all the showers had been lost into the ocean. And so um, it had been steadily creeping up. And so now we've lost a large part of our sea, um, of our sand there, and part of the seawall. And it's been creeping up for years. And so now we're, we're able to see all the dead trees that are were underneath that. And more palm trees have fallen and this is the heartbreak of, we see it very close, and it affects us as human beings and creatures of this earth. Someone was saying today, the sadness that that person feels of seeing all the paper towels you know, um, that we use, and what that's, you know, the implications of that. So this brings us a lot of pain, and, and we see that pain of communities being lost and people losing their, their lives to um, earthquakes and fires and things like that, religious wars. We see the pain of the cultural and racial and gender and economic inequities and, uh, that are abounding around us, so gravely unfair. And of course, last but not least, the emotional tsunamis that we experience in our own lives that we bring to the sitting cushion. Just, um, you know, reading the confidential things that you put on the back of your, your questionnaire, you know, it's sort of heartbreaking to, to read all of that. There's so much happening there. But actually, when we face it with compassion, there's a strength that happens. You know, there's an ability of the heart to be really big and spacious and say, this too, we can open to this too and not push it away and not be kind of pulled down into quicksand by it, but say that I can face this. And sometimes I can't, and that's okay too. Then we have compassion for ourselves But there are many, many more moments that we can face it than we can't face it when we have compassion. It's not joy, but it's empowering. It's not that kind of thing you laugh about or, you know, we smile about. But maybe we have, you know, that little smile because we can face it. But we can actually be with it. I love this saying by His Holiness the Dalai Lama, until you understand the meaning of suffering, there will still be a measure of hypocrisy to your compassion. When you don't really know it for yourselves, you know, then you really can't. The way we get empathy, you know, which is a precursor to compassion, is when we can feel that, when we know that suffering for ourselves, and then we can, somebody else says it or um, displays some kind of what they're going through. And all you really need to do is really, you don't need to do anything but maybe reach out your hand. Um, and Or you just say, oh. And that in itself is so huge for that other person. So I'm remembering a, a, a time when um, His Holiness was he asked to be able to speak with somebody who was going through something difficult or maybe that person asked to see him, I can't remember. But they were brought together and this person was explaining to His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, what was going on in her life that she could not bear and was not able to handle. And so the Dalai Lama said so many of those beautiful things that he could impart, you know, High spiritual ideals and ways that might help her, and practices that might help her, but nothing, nothing helped her. And so he said, the thing that he did was he reached out his hand and he touched the left um, arm of that woman and said, "I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry." And then he saw the change on her face and her countenance. And that's what really helped her. It was that compassion, that reaching out and just saying that, I'm so sorry. And I've been studying a lot about grieving and um, uh, lots of different kinds of grieving and you know, looking online and uh, hearing people talk about it. And... One of the greatest speakers that I heard, this woman who studies grieving, said that really all we can do is from the bottom of our hearts say that. I'm so sorry. Because no matter what you say to try to help, it's trying to fix, trying to... But it's just like being there with another person. Just being there and really knowing how that might be for yourself. And bringing that kind of heartfelt empathy and connecting really helps that other person. And just saying, I'm so sorry, I don't know what to do. Just saying the truth sometimes really helps. So this truth of suffering, um, we experience it in many ways. In the pain in the body. These are from the teachings of the Buddha. Pain in the body is one of the sufferings, hunger, illness, pain in the mind or the heart, like sadness, hatred, hold, holding tightly to opinions, resentment, jealousy, not feeling good enough. The fickleness of the uncontrollability of the mind. You know, just seeing that brings can bring us a kind of fear and suffering. The inability to hold on to anything, pleasant or unpleasant. This brings us a kind of deep suffering that when we face can bring a kind of empowerment, actually. So we're becoming familiar with the vulnerability of life and that it takes this great balance of love and wisdom, of compassion and wisdom to be able to face. Reaching out to help others because we know what it takes for ourselves, that kind of strength. So all of this is so hard to open to, but we can open to it. And all those great beings that have had those, you know, say that they've had these wonderful experiences of bliss, you know, if they're truthful, or if, you know, the time is right, they talk about what they went through to get there as well. There's this, um, in one of my yoga classes, uh, The teacher read this poem, which just came to me at just the right moment. And I put myself in the heart of this sycamore tree that is being talked about here by Wendell Berry. And the transformation from hardship to to beauty that this tree goes through. So I'd like to read this this poem to you. It's called The Sycamore from Wendell Berry, Berry. In this place that is my own, whose earth I am shaped in and must bear, there is an old tree growing, a great sycamore that is a wondrous healer of itself. Fences have been tied to it, nails driven into it, hacks and whittles cut in it. The lightning has burned it. There is no year it has flourished in that has not harmed it. There is a hollow in it that is its death. Though its living brims whitely at the lip of darkness and flows outwards, over all its scars has come the seamless white of the bark. It bears the gnarls of its history healed over. It has risen to a strange perfection in the warp and bending of its long growth. It has gathered all accidents into its purpose. It has become the intention and radiance of its fate. It is, in fact, sublime, mystical, and unassailable. In all the country, there is no other like it. I recognize in it a principle an indwelling, the same as itself and greater that I would be ruled by. I see that it stands in its place and feeds upon that principle and it is fed upon and it is native and maker. So it's a lovely cause and effect story. So as we become more connected and open to what's going on within us and we don't succumb to that hopelessness or compassion fatigue, we, see, we start to see with honesty the elements of fear and anger, attachment to our own tightly held ideas, perhaps the untrue viewpoints of ourselves and others, confusion, judging helplessness, guilt, shame, resentment. We inflict harm upon ourselves over and over again when those feelings come up and we believe them. This afternoon I was thinking about those empty echoes that I do on myself, you know, those kind of habitual tendencies that come up and then I become afraid or I become um, fearful, or I become guilty about something which really has no relevance to what's going on right now it's just like things of the past coming up saying this or that kind of bouncing against the walls of that emptiness and I believe it so right then and there we need to remember not to only bring awareness but to bring compassion with that awareness, to say, okay, I'm, I'm opening to this moment of that feeling, but it's really going away. It's really, really empty. It really is empty. And if we're really quiet, we can see that emptiness, that empty echo coming and going. So we learn to slow down all the thinking about it where things become solid and just watch whatever that feeling is come and go. It takes intentionally relaxing around it. And um, sometimes I learned this um, (laughs) from my therapist. She said, oh, whenever that thought comes up, just say, bless this thought. I don't know, that worked for me, it may not work for you. But it was like, instead of saying, yeah, that's true, it's like, oh, just giving it a blessing. May you go on your way and be free. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Someplace else, but not in my mind. <laughs> go grow a tree somewhere. <laughs> so, yeah, bless this thought. Just bless this thought. Bless this feeling. So we're learning, we're training to open to this, the truth of how it is, and not running away, not closing down, but staying with the vulnerability and staying just close enough so we can see it clearly, but not so close that it's going to pull us in and drag us down. So that's what we're learning how to do here. So we learn how to relax and to recognize clearly what's going on within us and then to allow it, you know, not to just push it away but to get close enough so it's allowed to do its thing because if we don't, if we're not aware of it, it's going to do it underground and we're still going to feel the effect of it. But when we do it with awareness, awareness has this ability to bring in some wisdom and to be able to see that experience with greater truth to see the impermanent, impersonal nature of it. And so we can take interest in it then, that it's coming and going and not run away from it. And we learn to relate to it as nature. The natural unfolding of the cause and effect relationship of our life is happening before us. And what we ne- we learn to do is let nature take its place. So this is the whole letting go process. You know, I what I've spelled out here is the acronym RAIN. Relax and recognize. For the R, allow to take interest in it. And then to relate to it as nature. R A I N. This is the body and mind arising and passing away. We come to see it more imp- as impermanence, as impersonal nature. I've been reading Martin, Mark Nepo. He has this beautiful, yeah, that beautiful book with all those little vignettes of stories of, that he's gone through and other people have gone through. and it, um, It's a great book, you know, if you're going through challenges, just to open it up and read a story before you wake up in the morning Read a story before you go to bed at night. Wonderful. This, um, this little excerpt touched me deeply. It's about his own health crisis and the pain he went through, emotional pain also. He said, Having loved enough and lost enough, I am no longer searching, just opening, no longer trying to make sense of pain, but being a soft and sturdy home in which real things can land these are the irritations that rub to a pearl so just remember that you know when you're going through the hard bits you know it's just like these are the irritations that are making this beautiful pearl of your life that are shining this beautiful these beautiful pearls of wisdom so the Buddha expounded upon this first noble truth and he mentioned the hallmarks of our basic vulnerability of human beings birth you know birth of of ourselves in this into this life this is painful you know you don't usually see a baby come out smiling you know the, the birth channel is very difficult to get through But I'm, this, the Buddha didn't say this, but I want to say this next part as a mother. The birthing process of a mother that she has to go through, this is also painful. Um, Aging, sickness, and all the various manifestations of that. Death, the dying process. Being with those we don't like, you know, that causes a lot of suffering in us. Being separated from those we love by death in other ways. Another, lots of suffering there. Wanting to have and keep what is pleasant, but it goes away. Running away and avoiding the unpleasant, but it remains, or it comes back again. All of this is undeniable. And so this is what we're really learning how to be with, kind of at the very basic level. And it's not easy. As Mark Twain says, self-knowledge is not always good news, right? (laughs) But it's something we have to open to. So compassion, it's allowing ourselves really to give ourselves time and patience with the path, walking on this path. We need to be able to open to whatever we're opening to And have that gentleness and humility. These are the pearls that come out of it. Gentleness, humility, not humiliation, but humility because, you know, it's hard. And we we accept that. And um, we're not going about proudly of all the things we've accomplished, but we're seeing that we can open to what's difficult. And that's a great accomplishment. So giving ourselves a time. I've said a lot of beautiful poems, but this one comes from a tea box, you know, one of the celestial um, seasoning tea boxes. I learned this. Um, actually, somebody told me this in a different way. And then I read this and I remembered, oh, yeah, I remember that. Um, This is the poem that was written there, or the saying, Flowers unfold slowly and gently, bit by bit, in the sunshine. And a heart, too, must never be pushed or driven, But unfold in its own perfect timing, To reveal its true wonder and beauty. So I remember once, a long time ago, um, Being with someone, and... I wanted that person to open, you know, and to be in the Dharma path with me, and it wasn't happening. And so that person said, Don't pull my petals open. And I I thought, wow, that's really a Dharmic thing to say, you know. (laughs) He knows more than I do. Um, And then I read this and remembered, oh, that's probably why I lost that person in my life, you know. So, yeah, there, there, there we go. That, that's the Dharma for you. That compassion that we need to open to, that very first thing that we need to open to in our lives. That's what we're developing here. So I'd like to end with this other beautiful poem by Jennifer Payne Wellwood. And this is called Unconditional. Unconditional. You know, being unconditionally open to what's happening. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Turning my face to fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. So let's sit and let all those words dissolve in just being with our own hearts. Thank you for your kind attention. And we have Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.